This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Well, good morning. You know, I hope that all of you guys find at least a little bit of time every day to worship God. But there's something special that happens when all of us get together and worship Him as one body. And this morning was awesome, so thank you guys for worshiping with us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And this morning I'm going to walk you through one of my very favorite stories in all of Scripture. And it's about King David and a man that you may have never heard of, and his name is Mephibosheth. Say that nine times fast. Mephibosheth. So we're going to read the story of David and Mephibosheth, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of historical background about this story. And I truly believe that the story of Mephibosheth is going to touch you in a special way this morning. And I believe that the Lord has a specific word for you, and he's going to meet you where you're at and share you, show you his love. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amuel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amuel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his household I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord the king commands, his servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I think that your word is true and powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that in hearing it, faith is built up in the hearts of the believers. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make the ground of each person's heart in this place good soil, that as the word of God is planted, that a harvest is grown, and that your love would show them their value. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mephibosheth, he's the son of Jonathan, and Jonathan was the son of Saul. Now Saul was the very first king of Israel, and the Bible says that he was the Lord's anointed king. The Lord gave him that position and anointed him to do it. And for a time, Saul did it very well. He was faithful to God, and he was faithful to the people of Israel, and he was loved. But after a time, Saul began to be disobedient. His heart began to fill with pride, And he began to be rebellious towards the Lord's commandments. And when the Lord would tell him to do something, he would do the opposite. And one time, 
After this happened, the prophet Samuel approached him and said, because you've been disobedient, the Lord has stripped the kingdom from yours and your descendants' hands forever, and he's giving the kingdom to someone else. You imagine hearing that. I'm the king of Israel, and someone's just told me that because I've been disobedient, the kingdom stripped from not only me, but from my descendants. See, Saul had five sons, and his oldest son was the one we just read about, Jonathan. Now, David was that anointed king. He was the one that would take over the kingdom once Saul died. So Jonathan, being Saul's son, he was the prince of Israel and would have been the heir to the throne, but Jonathan loved David and he loved the Lord. And Jonathan recognized, I'm not the next king. The Lord's anointed David to be the next king. And so Jonathan and David were friends and they had a covenant together to the point where Jonathan would actually protect David from Saul. See, people said about David, they said, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands. And this began to make Saul jealous, and he hated David, and on many occasions, Saul tried to kill David. But David honored Saul as the Lord's anointed king, and he remained faithful, and he served in his house. So one day, David was pretty sure that Saul was trying to kill him, and he asked Jonathan, he said, I think your dad's trying to kill me, man. And Jonathan said, no, he wouldn't do that. He loves you. And David said, I need you to find out for me, please. And so Jonathan went to his father, and through discussion, he realized that David was right and that Saul was actually trying to kill David. And so Jonathan warned David, and he said, you've got to get out of here. You've got to run away. My father is trying to kill you. And before he left, David and Jonathan made a covenant with each other. They made a pact together. And David said, as long as you live, I will show the Lord's faithful love to you. And if you die, I will show the Lord's faithful love to your descendants. You see, part of society back then was that when a new king took over the kingdom, they would wipe out the entire family, all the descendants of the prior king's bloodline. They didn't want any chance that somebody would come up and say, I am the rightful king and try to overthrow the new king. And so they would wipe out their children, they would wipe out their grandchildren, anybody in that bloodline, they would kill them. But David says, once I'm king, I will show you and your descendants the Lord's loving kindness. So as Mephibosheth was a small boy, he was only five years old. Remember, he's Jonathan's son. And when he was five years old, King Saul and Jonathan were killed on the same day in battle. And Mephibosheth's nurse became worried because she felt like that the new king would try to kill him since he was of the Saul's descendants. And so she took him in her arms and she ran away fleeing, but in her haste she tripped and she dropped Mephibosheth and at five years old he became crippled for the rest of his life. Now as he approaches David's palace when David summoned him in the story that we just read, he would have been so full of fear he was much older by now. Actually, verse 12 of 2 Samuel 9 says that he had a son. It's been many years since his father and, and his grandfather had passed. But as he approached the palace, his thought must have been, King David's going to take me out. He knows I'm Saul's grandson and he wants to kill me. And so the Bible says that he was fearful as he approached and David said, Do not fear, for I will show you the Lord's loving kindness. See, David should have killed him. That's what society told him to do. But instead, he honored his commitment to his friend, and he kept his word. 
And if you read throughout scripture, you see that David did in fact allow Mephibosheth to eat at his table all the days of his life. And the message this morning, if you're taking notes, is titled, The King's Table. And I want to show you how Mephibosheth is a picture of us. Just like Mephibosheth, you may feel like you're not worthy of a seat at the king's table. Like Mephibosheth, you may feel like you're not worthy of love, that there's things that have happened in your life or things that you've done that have kept you from being qualified for God to love you. But just like Mephibosheth, you have a seat at the king's table. And I wanna show you three characteristics of your seat at the king's table. The first characteristic of your seat at the king's table is that it doesn't matter what other people say or think about you. You have a seat at the king's table. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. In verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, David's talking with Ziba and he says, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he's crippled in his feet. The king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Now at first glance, it may appear like that Ziba's just keeping David informed. Yes, there's the son, he's crippled, he lives in Lodabar, but he's, he's here. Well actually, Ziba was trying to explain to King David how Mephibosheth was disqualified to receive the king's love. See, back then, to be crippled meant that you were a social outcast. It meant that you were of no value. Now, often, if you read in the New Testament, there's crippled people, and almost all of them are beggars. To be crippled back in those times essentially meant you were just useless. And he's telling him, Ziba's telling David, yeah, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's kind of useless. And then he says, He's from Lodabar. That word Lodabar in Hebrew actually translates to nothing town. He's saying this guy's from the middle of nowhere, from this insignificant town. He's crippled. He's useless. He's not worthy. And Ziv is trying to tell these things to King David. But I love King David doesn't even respond to him. Ziv says, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled. And David said, where is he? And Ziv says, well, he's from the middle of nowhere. And David says, bring him to me. I want to show the Lord's kindness to him. You may be like Mephibosheth. There's people in your life that have told you you're not worthy. Maybe you had parents or teachers or coaches that literally said to you, you will never measure up. You'll never amount to anything. Maybe you've had friends or family tell you, you're going to end up just like your deadbeat dad. Or that uncle that's an alcoholic, you're going to be just like him when you grow up. Maybe people have said about you that you're too fat or you're too skinny. Maybe people have said about you that you'll always live in poverty or you'll always be discriminated against. And these things have come out of people's mouth and you've heard them and you start to believe it. But what other people say or think about you, that doesn't disqualify you from your seat at the king's table. You see, David completely ignored Ziba and said, bring him to me. I want to show him kindness. So when I was a senior in high school, I was in a class called the weights class. And you may be thinking to yourself, weights class, so that's like, you know, bodybuilding, weightlifting. No, 
You may have in your picture in your mind like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, weights above his head, CrossFit class. That's not what weights class was at all. It was basically PE. And we had people in our class that couldn't even do a single push-up. It was a struggle. But there was one kid in our class, his name was Jeff, and Jeff was a varsity athlete his freshman, sophomore, and junior years. He was very good at the sports that he played, but whenever he became a senior, he didn't want to go to the practices and spend all the time, so he joined weights class. And so my coach would often tell me, well, every Friday, coach would have Ironman competitions. That's what he called them. And at every Ironman competition, he put the class against each other, and we would all compete, and he would make these challenges like push-up challenge. Who can do the most push-ups? There was a pull-up challenge. Who can hold the plank position for the longest time? There's whatever he could come up with to torture us. So every Friday we competed in the Ironman competition. And every Friday, my coach would look at me and say, Havens, you're not going to beat Jeff today. And he was right. I didn't beat Jeff. And the next Friday, Havens, don't even try. There's no way you can beat Jeff. He's way better than you. And he was right. Jeff beat me. And the next Ironman competition, the next Friday, Havens, why do you even try? Jeff's better than you. And it started to get to me. I'm like, man, this guy is dogging me all the time. Actually, he was also my biology teacher. And there was a question on a test one time. It was a bonus question. And it was, uh, who had the worst haircut ever? And the answer was Evan Havens' chili bowl haircut. I never even had a chili bowl haircut. I don't know why this guy didn't like me, but he was not a fan, and he wanted to make sure that I knew that Jeff was always going to beat me. Well, it's one Friday, Ironman competition again, and like every Friday, coach told me, Havens, don't even try. Jeff's going to beat you. That day, something rose up within me, and I decided that whatever it took, I was going to beat Jeff. And so the competition was wall sits. Anybody ever done a wall sit in here? Several of you. Great. Yeah, I can tell by the way you reacted. You know. So a wall sit, if you don't know, there's a wall to your back and you sit like you're sitting on a chair, but there's no chair there and you just hold that position as long as you can. So we're wall sitting, the whole class, and the Ironman competition starts. Ready, set, go. So after about a minute, a couple kids drop out. After another two or three minutes, there's only four or five kids left in the Ironman competition. After 10 minutes, it's just me and Jeff. And my coach tells me, give up, Havens, he's going to win. Not today, coach. And so I sat there, and I sat there. And the 20-minute mark rolls around, and Jeff tries to make a treaty with me. He says, hey, dude, let's both count to three and go down together. I was like, I'm not doing that today, man. A tie's not good enough for me today. And so 20 minutes goes by, and Jeff goes down. And I did it. I won the Ironman competition. What? you. I was so determined to prove to my coach that I was worthy of his respect that I kept sitting there. And almost the entire class period for 56 minutes, I held that stupid wall sit. And my back got so sweaty that the way that it ended was that I slid down the wall. I couldn't hold myself up anymore. And I had to have two other guys help me to the locker room. So I was walking like this, beads of sweat on my legs. I think I lost 15 pounds just from the sweat. But I did it. And you know what? My coach never told me again that I couldn't beat Jeff because I had beat him. I wanted so badly to prove to that man that didn't even like me that I was worthy of his respect. I wanted so badly to prove to him that I was as good as my peers. But you know what the best thing about the king's table is? 
You don't have to prove your worth at all because he calls you worthy. He says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've looked like. I don't care what you think about yourself or what other people have said about you. I'm ignoring all of that. You have a seat at my table all the days of your life. I love the ending of that chapter and it says, so Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. And I hope you know this morning that you are the son or the daughter of a king. So it doesn't matter what other people say about you, it doesn't matter what other people think about you, you have a seat at the king's table. Second characteristic about your seat is that it doesn't matter what you think or feel about yourself, you have a seat at the king's table. Those thoughts, those feelings that come about yourself, that doesn't matter at all. Look at chapter, or chapter nine, verse eight. And this is Mephibosheth talking and he says, he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? See, dogs back then, they weren't like these glamorous pets like we have today. I've seen dogs in sweaters with like jewelry on, the leashes that have real diamonds on them and stuff. Dogs weren't like that back then. Dogs were basically scum. Think more of stray dogs eating trash out of the dumpsters, and that's what dogs were like. And Mephibosheth doesn't just say, I'm just a dog. He says, I'm a dead dog. He's saying, look at me, I'm crippled. I'm from the middle of nowhere. I'm just a dead dog. And that's the way that he thought about himself. And maybe there's things about yourself that you don't like. Maybe you don't like your weight. Maybe you don't like your height. Maybe you don't like your shoe size or the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. Maybe there's things that you were created with that you wish you could change. Maybe there's things about your personality that you don't like or you don't like the way that you always react in a certain situation. But the things that you think about yourself never disqualify you from your seat at the king's table. See, Mephibosheth thought he was a dead dog and maybe you have a similar view of yourself and you think, how could I ever be worthy of God's love? How could I ever be worthy to sit at the king's table? I have a brand new, crisp $100 bill. I don't know if you've seen one of these lately, but they're making them like beautiful now. It's got this sparkly blue thing on it, and this is sparkly over here. Lots of different colors. It's great. And what's its value? $100. And if I asked anybody in this room, there's not a single person that would turn me down if I were to offer to give this to you. I think I'll hold on to it though. But what if I take this $100 bill and crumble it up and beat it up a little bit, squeeze it, and then what if I throw it on the ground and trample it like it's worth nothing, like it's dirt, and what if I kick it around? What if I take this $100 bill, drag it through the mud, what if I just rip a corner off and don't need that piece anymore? Now what's this $100 bill's value? Still $100. You see, it's not the way that this looks or feels. It's not the things that have been done to this that give it value. When this $100 bill was printed, when it was created, the creator set its value at $100, and there is nothing that could happen to this that would make it any more or any less valuable than what its creator said it's valued at. And that's exactly the way that it is with you. You may feel like this right now. 
You may feel even smaller. You may feel like there's no way that you could get any smaller than this right here. Life may have dragged you through the mud, stomped on you, kicked you around, but nothing affects your value except what the Creator said you were valued at. And He calls you chosen. And He calls you a son or a daughter of the King. There's nothing that you could do to change that. So it doesn't matter what you think about yourself, doesn't matter what you feel about yourself, you have a seat at the king's table. And the last characteristic of the table, of your seat at the table, is that it doesn't matter what you have or have not done, you have a seat at the king's table. There's things that you've done that you feel like disqualify you, it's a lie of the enemy. If there's things that you haven't done that make you feel like they disqualify you from your seat at the king's table, it's a lie from the enemy. And I want to show you another story in 2 Kings chapter 25. And while you're turning to 2 Kings 25, I want to set it up a little bit for you. See, many years after David and Mephibosheth both died, further down the kingly bloodline, there was a king named Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim took the throne when he was only 18 years old. How many of you, when you were 18, would have felt qualified to run a, a nation? Not me. Yes. Good. <laughs> there are some. And Jehoiakim, the Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, just like his father had done. And at that time, the people of Israel were worshiping idols, and they were sinning against the Lord. So the prophet Jeremiah, he prophesied that if Israel didn't turn from their sin, he prophesied that if Israel didn't stop worshiping idols, that they would be sent into exile for 70 years and that King Jehoiakim would die childless. Israel didn't turn from their sin. They kept sinning, they kept making mistakes, and they kept worshiping idols. And so one day King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came into the city and besieged it and took people captive. This is the same time period that we read about in the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar took the Israelites into Babylon and tried to train them as wise men and tried to fatten them up and make them look better by feeding them the king's food. This is the same time period. But King Jehoiakim wasn't taken to eat the king's food. The King Jehoiakim wasn't taken to be a wise man. King Jehoiakim was thrown in prison. And King Nebuchadnezzar put one of his people in, in charge of the, the nation. Jehoiakim was in prison for 37 years. And then we pick up the story right here in verse 27, 2 Kings 25. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, that's a name, that's, wow. In that year he began to reign graciously free Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. Now, evil Merodach took control of Babylon. He was the king of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar died. And if you read Jewish commentary on this passage, it says that Jehoiakim sincerely repented while he was in prison. He turned his life around. He stopped doing things that, that were against the word of God, and he started obeying the Lord. Instead of sinning against the Lord, he obeyed the Lord's commands. Let's keep reading in verse 28. Jehoiakim's freed from prison. 
And he spoke kindly to Jehoiakim and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. It didn't matter what Jehoiakim had done. The things that he did when he was 18 didn't disqualify him from a seat at the king's table. He repented. He turned from his sin, and he was freed. See, there's three things in this passage that show what's available to us at the king's table, and the first thing is kindness. See, at the king's table, Jehoiakim was shown kindness where he deserved death. Look in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 4. Titus chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 4. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. See, just like that verse says, we can't do anything to earn it. It's nothing that's done by us in righteousness. You could never earn the favor of God. You could never earn the love of God. But it's giving to us according to his mercy. It's giving to us according to his grace. That's why he shows us kindness. Because he loves us. The next thing that's available at the king's table for us is freedom. And the Bible says that Jehoiakim took off his prison clothes and he put on new clothes. Many of you have been walking around with prison clothes on. You're bound to the things that have held you captive for so long. You're bound to a relationship. You're bound to an addiction. You're bound to a process or a way of life and it holds you captive like a prisoner and you walk around with those prison clothes on. At the king's table, there's freedom available for you. And you can take off those prison clothes. And you can put on new clothes. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 6. Verse 14. Romans six fourteen says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. See, those things that have held you back in your past, it has no dominion over you today. And I love other versions of this scripture. One of them says, sin is no longer your master. And my favorite translation of this particular verse says, you're no longer a slave to sin. Take off those prison clothes and take your seat at the king's table where freedom is available to you. The last thing that Jehoiakim got at the king's table was that he got provision. And I want you to look in the book of Philippians. Chapter 4. See, the end of that chapter, the end of that verse says that Jehoiakim was provided for with a daily allowance all the days of his life. And in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that he doesn't provide for us according to our riches? 
Aren't you glad that he doesn't provide, to, provide for us according to our abilities? He provides for us according to his riches. I would much rather be provided for according to the riches of the one that created everything and created me and knows me and knows my needs. And when you have your seat at the king's table, you get provision. See, one of these things that I've thought about this week is when the king of kings sat at a table and when Jesus was eating the last supper with his 12 closest friends and he invited all of them to sit at the table with him and eat the bread and drink the juice or the wine. Jesus invited them to the table knowing full well that the person on this side of him that very night would betray him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver and hand him over to be crucified. And the person on his other side, seated at his table, would deny him three times and call down curses on himself, saying, I never even knew the guy. And yet Jesus still invited them to his table. And they still sat with the king of kings. See, I have a daughter, and she's three. And it's a really fun time in our lives. This morning, her and I came to church together, and I put her in her car seat, and then I got in the car, and when I got in the car, she said, Daddy, you look awesome today. I like your shirt. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. Last night when I was putting her to bed, she, I start to close the door, and I say goodnight. She goes, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I said, yes, Ellie. This is the thing that happens all the time. Open the door, she goes, I really love you a lot. Ellie, thank you. And in those times, you know, as parents, your heart's just full and it's amazing and nothing could ever go wrong. And then there's those other kinds of days. And my daughter is, I could write a book called The Strong-Willed Child, except there's already a book called The Strong-Willed Child. Our daughter is very strong-willed and the Lord's gonna do great things with her one day. But right now it causes us a little trouble sometimes. And I remember one day, not too long ago, she had the worst day ever. I mean, she was on another level. She was jumping on the couch. We don't allow her to do that in the first place, but I look at her and I said, Ellie, stop jumping on the couch now. She looks at me square in the eyes and goes. <laughs> so she gets a spanking. She hit me in the face that day, spanking. I can't, so, it was just like thing after thing after thing, and we tried to count, but I think we lost count after 10 or so spankings that day. And that was after giving her some grace because I think her bottom was turning different colors. <laughs> Always done in love. And I remember putting her to bed that night. And as I was reading to her and singing to her, my first thought was, what a day. But I realized in that moment, and this is the honest truth, that as I held her and I sung to her, I thought to myself, I love her the exact same amount right now that I do on those days whenever she looks at me and says, Daddy, I love you. I love her the same in her worst, most awful moments that I do in her very best moments. It doesn't matter what she does. It doesn't matter what she doesn't do. The reason my daughter eats at my table is because I'm her father. She doesn't have to earn that spot. She doesn't have to do anything to get it. The spot at the table is hers because of who she is, because she's my daughter.
And I hope you know that there is nothing that you could do today. Just like Sydney read in that verse. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that can be done to you. There's nothing that you can say. There's nothing that you can think. There's nothing anybody else could say or think about you. You have a seat at the king's table. You're worthy because he calls you worthy. You're chosen because he calls you chosen. See, Mephibosheth, when he approached David, he was full of shame. And the reason he was full of shame was because of his brokenness. Probably because of what people had been telling him since he was five years old, that he was useless and worthless from the middle of nowhere. So as he approached David, it's obvious. He said, I'm just a dead dog. But David lifted his head. And the great thing about Mephibosheth, when he came to the king's table, and he sat in that chair, is that the table covered his brokenness, and the table covered his shame. And just like Mephibosheth's shame was covered at the king's table, the Lord Jesus covers our shame. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, Romans 10 and verse 11, it says, For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. You see, Jesus paid for salvation on the cross. His broken body paid for our healing on the cross. His blood paid for us to live in eternity with God in heaven. But the Bible also says that he was mocked and scorned and shamed. And when he was shamed on that cross, he bore your shame. And if you let him this morning and you accept his invitation to sit at the king's table, your shame and your brokenness will be covered. The reason why I love the story of Mephibosheth so much is because it's a beautiful foreshadow of Jesus. And the way that King David treated Mephibosheth is exactly how King Jesus treats you and treats me. See, just like Mephibosheth, we had a fall that led to brokenness whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Just like Mephibosheth, though, at the king's table, our brokenness is covered. Just like Mephibosheth, we should be killed. We deserve death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But instead, we're shown kindness. Just like Mephibosheth, we were of no significance but we're provided for like sons and daughters of the king. Just like Mephibosheth, it doesn't matter how we view ourselves and it doesn't matter what other people say about us, the king views us as his children. See, the funny thing is the name Mephibosheth in Hebrew actually means destroyer of shame. And it's so ironic because that man was so filled with shame. But when he was invited to sit at the king's table, can you imagine what that did to his self-esteem? Even in my brokenness, I can sit at the table. Even with all the shame that I've carried since I was five years old, I can sit at the table. And I can eat the food with the king like his own son. He wants me. He called me. He chose me. It doesn't matter what I've done or what's been done to me. So just like Mephibosheth's name means the destroyer of shame, Jesus 
destroyed your shame when he paid for it on the cross. The absolute greatest part of this story is that Mephibosheth had a seat at the king's table and it wasn't because of anything he did. It wasn't because of anything he didn't do. It wasn't because of the outstanding recommendation he received from his peers. It wasn't because he viewed himself in such high esteem. Actually, none of those things were true. The only reason why Mephibosheth got a seat at the king's table was because of who his father was. See, in chapter, or verse 7 of 2 Samuel 9, David says, I want to show someone kindness for Jonathan's sake. And Mephibosheth was given that seat because of a commitment that David had made with his father. David had never met Mephibosheth probably. He said, because of who your father is, you'll sit at my table. And you have a seat at the king's table today, not because of something you've done or something you haven't done, not because of any recommendation that you've received, not because of you hold yourself in such high esteem, nothing you can do can earn your spot at the table. You're given a spot at the king's table because of who your father is. Many of you guys, at least at one time in your life, have felt like this $100 bill. That the world has dragged you through the mud and stomped on you and kicked you around. That people have treated you poorly. You feel poorly about yourself. You have a low self-esteem and a lack of self-worth. But it's nothing that's been done to you and not any way that you feel about yourself that sets your value. It's your creator that sets your value. Like Mephibosheth said, I'm just a dead dog. How could you show regard for me? Many of you in this room have thought, how could God love me? Someone so worthless like me. And we have these excuses. I'm this way or I'm this way. I've done this and I haven't done this. So God can't love me. But it's not your abilities or your disabilities that define you. It's not your wealth or your poverty that gives you value. It's not what you've done or what you haven't done, what's been said about you of what you've said about yourself. The only thing that gives you value is who your father is. And your father says that you are valuable enough for him to send his son to live a perfect life on this earth and to die a death that we deserve to die so that he could pay for our sins. See, your father says you're worthy of everything he can give. I think the part of the story of the crucifixion that shows just what Jesus went through was when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, the one who was there at the beginning, who created the world, who was God in the flesh, who knows everything, the beginning from the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, kneeled in that garden and was sweating blood. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, please don't make me do this. And for the king of kings to say that, what he went through must have been so horrible. But he said, not my will, but your will be done. He said, these people that I'm about to die for and give my life for, they're worthy of it. They are of that much value to me. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.